you ever just wrestled with some passages and, uh, through the week? And, and I know I do. Sometimes I wrestle with pack, uh, passage, and, and I just sometimes can't wait to just share some of uh, what God is uh, doing through it because uh, what, he's, what he's done for me and just uh, the encouragement that a text has been to me. Well, that's, that's been true of today. We're in Heroes of the Faith. We're talking about great heroes of the faith. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Sarah. Uh, Sarah, uh, one of the, the uh, heroes of the faith, she was, she's the first, but not the last, really, heroine of the faith, right? Uh, she's the, uh, not the only female on the list, but she's the first one, and she's married to Abraham, which was the previous uh, uh, hero of the faith, and she's also married to the next hero of the faith. Some of you are saying, I never knew she got married twice, right? No, it's Abraham will come back up in Hebrews 11. But uh, this, this week, we're going to look at, at, at uh, the life of Sarah. So let's read together in Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll be in verses 11 and 12 today, as well as in Genesis. And so let's read, uh, read these together. Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. See, in, in these verses we find the, the fulfillment of a promise that was made to Abraham, and it came actually in three different, uh, three different encounters that God had with Abraham. But let me ask you, um, what do you do when God asks you to believe something that is impossible? that ever happen? I mean, God says something in his word, and he asks us to believe his word, and he makes some, some interesting promises in his word, and we look at these promises and we say, no, that's just not possible. From a human standpoint, it's just impossible to believe that. Um, well, we find the answer to that question in the example of Sarah, and uh, uh, who is oftentimes seen as a secondary character. I mean, really, when you think of heroes of the faith, uh, Abraham is, is on the list, right? I mean, it, he comes to mind. But probably before we studied uh, Hebrews 11, if I were to ask, well, who are some of the heroes of the faith? We would have shouted out, but it might take us a while before we remembered that Sarah is on that list, right? And so we oftentimes think of her as a secondary character, but, but today we'll see that she, she is not uh, by, any, by any stretch. And so the message today really ends up being a very simple one, just a couple of points, but they're powerful points powerful two points if we understand them because they'll give us hope uh, when from a human perspective there is none and they can give us uh, faith when when it seems like escape is impossible and it can give us peace regardless of what type of storm we're going through and really all this comes from the example of one of the greatest heroines of the faith and that is that is sarah so anyway, we look at, we look at this and, uh, at, at Hebrews 11, and, and, and we say, what is this talking about? We read, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age. And what is this talking about? It's going back to the promise that, that God made to Abraham. So I'll read them quickly, because we read them last week, but it says, Now the Lord had said to, to Abraham, this is Genesis 12, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and will bless you and make your, your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who, who, or him who curses you. 
and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And so this was the original uh, covenant given to Abraham, and he, he, this was his first of three encounters. Uh, the second one we find uh, where God clarifies it a little bit more in uh, chapter 15. So if you want to turn there. So keep one hand in, or one, something in Genesis and maybe a finger in uh, Hebrews 11. Again, we'll go back and forth. But in Genesis 15, uh, we read this. And then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my own house is my heir. Remember from last week, Abraham came to a point where he's like, Lord, you have promised to make nations out of me. And yet my wife is barren. She's old. I'm old. You have not given me, given me any offspring. In fact, this is in reference here what he's saying here. Eleazar, one of my workers, is, is the closest thing to an heir that I have. But God clarified his promise in the next words. He said, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward, or excuse me, that's let me get the, the right verse there, verse 4. And behold, the, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but who, one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So he's saying, it's someone that's coming from your own body. And then he says in verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, look now towards the heavens and count the stars. And if you're able to number them, and he said to them, so shall your descendants be. So God clarifies this, saying, saying look, Abraham, I know this seems impossible, Right? This seems impossible. You're old. Your wife is old. Uh, she has been unable to have children her entire life. And, and here we are. And, and, but, but let's go outside for a minute. And you see this intimate relationship between God and Abraham. And they go outside and he says, look at all the stars. Number those stars. You know, I wonder if Abraham even started. Okay, that's one, two, three, four. You know, we, I don't know what he did. But obviously he came to the conclusion, Lord, this is this innumerable stars out there. And God says, that's exactly what it's going to be like. You have so many descendants that no one is going to be able to actually put an accurate number on them. And he's thinking, I'd be happy with one, Lord. Right? And God's saying, no, I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you innumerable amount. Uh, and then he goes on in, in chapter 17. I won't go through all the details. Uh, uh, and, and God clarifies it again later on in his life. And he uses a different analogy. He uses the sand on the, sh- on the seashore. So the same idea that... If you were to, if, could you name all the grain, the grain, or could you number all of the grains of sand? And obviously no. And I said, that's how it's going to be. Trust me. But yet God continued to make him wait, as we talked about uh, last week. So when we put these together, this is a conundrum, is it not? I mean, put yourself in Abraham's uh, situation for a moment, and in Sarah's uh, situation for a moment, and this is a conundrum because it seems very logical and it seems very illogical at the same time. If that's logical, right? Now, here's what I mean by that. There's a promise that God made that, this, that this, these descendants, a son will be born to him through them from his own body. Okay, so if we take that at, at face value, God promised him innumerable descendants, right? It, there's also a natural process for that, right? The process that God created for that, the, the process of cro, uh, procreation with the husband and wife, they have... Uh, children uh, together, and then those children grow up, and they have children. That's it's a natural process. We also know that God condemns adultery, right? 
God condemns adultery uh, from, the, from, uh, from the beginning. Actually, you go to Genesis cha- uh, chapters 1 and 2, and you find this is what marriage is supposed to look like. And you have a man and, and a woman, and, and God says, this is the pattern. He, he goes on, says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. There's a process for this to take place. And then he gives them the command to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. So, so there's a natural process for this. So the logical conclusion would be that God was going to have a child through Abraham and Sarah, right? I mean, that seems logical. At the same time, it seems illogical, right? I mean, Sarah was barren. We don't know all the details, what was the problem was, but we know that Sarah was barren. Right? She was unable to have children. We also know that if you are 90 years old, it's not a good time to start thinking about having children, right? So it's not, not the best time. And if your husband's 100 years old, even more so, right? And so, so you say, wait a minute. So on one hand, it seems logical. Like God is just saying, I've given you enough information, right? But at the, at, uh, on the other hand, it seems very illogical as well. Um, and so it's, it's not logical. But so God was asking them to really believe in something, to have faith in something that from a human standpoint was not logical. It was, it was unreasonable. It was, it was impossible, right? I mean, that's a lot of faith that God's asking them. But what do we read in verse 11? We read this, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. So Sarah in spite of being asked to believe something that is beyond belief, believed. And God gave her strength because of it, right? Uh, what an amazing thought. She believed the impossible. But here's, here's where I think uh, it, it takes a little twist as we have to think through this. Asking the question, but how did Sarah believe the impossible? Uh, on what basis did she believe the impossible? Because how many of us, if we were honest, would have to say, we would struggle if God told me something like that. I would struggle to believe that. Anyone else? Okay. So yeah, and you're, you're human, right? You're like me. I would struggle with that. And in fact, I struggle with things that are sometimes a lot less than, uh, than that. Uh, and, and what you'll find too is they, they, they struggled. Abraham struggled. Sarah struggled. But what is this basis of faith, though? Because I think if we put our, if our basis of faith becomes what it was for Sarah, it'll change the way we live our lives. It'll change the, the way our faith grows in us. So what does, she, what does she do? So first, I think we have to look at what was not Sarah's basis of faith. Uh, and, uh, and, and at the same time, we'd be asking ourselves, what should, what should be our basis of faith and what should not be our basis of faith because we're following Sarah as an example, right? That's what it means to be a heroine of the faith. She's an example of faith for us. So let's start uh, with looking at what, what should not be our basis for faith, all right? So let's, for that, let's skip just a little bit ahead in Genesis to Genesis chapter 16. So if you have your finger in Genesis still, uh, go forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 16 and... Uh, uh, we'll read verses 1 through 4. And by the way, just, to, just as we get there, as you're turning there, I want you to know, Sarah is a lot like us. She didn't get it right the first time. Right? She did not get it right the first time. Um, she didn't place her faith in God, and we're going to see that from the beginning. But let's cut her a little bit of slack, because I think we would all be in that same situation. So let's read uh, Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. We read this. Now, Sarai... Abram's wife, had borne him no children. 
And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Uh, so Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please, go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, at the beginning, what was, what was Sarah's basis of faith? This is when she did it wrong, right? What was Sarah's basis of faith? Uh, her basis of faith was in herself. And now let me explain that. What I'm, what I'm saying is she re- received this, this impossible promise from God. And, in, and instead of saying, well, I'm just going to trust that God's going to do it the way it, according to his plan, laid out from Genesis 1 and 2, his plan for marriage and procreation, and so instead of doing that, I better take matters into my own hand. Now, it's important that we read there, she waited 10 years first. So after 10 years of receiving this promise and saying, and say, all right, Lord, uh, uh, you've promised me children. 10 years go by and nothing happened. At some point... It's human nature to say, well, I'm, I better take matters into my own hands. Does that make sense? And before, so before condemning her, I think that her patience probably lasted, I don't know, nine years more than mine would have, right? So, uh, so this, is a, this is an important thing. So here, here we see, she waited 10 years, but where was her faith? Her faith at the beginning was in herself. And did you notice immediately she knew something wasn't right? Because the moment that her plan actually worked, and the moment that she found out that Hagar was, was pregnant, what happened? She despised her in her own eyes. Why? Because there's something inside that says, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. Isn't that true? When we leave God's pattern, we recognize this is not the way it's supposed to happen. Um, well, have you ever taken matters into your own hands? Have you ever done that? Maybe even to accomplish something that you think is good, something that you think is biblical, or, but yet you're feeling like, well, but I might have to violate a few of God's minor commands, something like that to do it in order to accomplish it. I mean, that's, that's not good, is it? I mean, when, that's trusting in ourselves. That's, uh, I mean, our basis of faith should never be in ourselves. If we find ourselves having to take matters into our own hands, that's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. Uh, and I see it in two, in two different forms um, that, that we, we tend to do this. Uh, you see, I, God gives us sometimes some impossible circumstances so that we have to rely on Him. Have you ever noticed that? And for those who have been saved for a long time, have you ever noticed that? Could you testify if that's true, right? God puts us sometimes in un- impossible circumstances. Why? Because he wants us to lean on him instead of leaning on ourselves. And I think we do it in one of two ways. Uh, uh, sometimes it, we, we, this shows up in trying to do things in our own strength. Trying to do things in our own strength. Uh, or manufacturing uh, positive re- results. And I think of, uh, for example, God could put us into a situation where we're undergoing financial stress. Now, I'm not talking about the financial stress that comes because we've made boneheaded decisions, right? That's a whole different category. 
But maybe God puts this. I remember growing up in a home with my dad was a pastor, and I remember a time where he sat us down as a family and said, guys, because of a car accident, that wasn't, a, wasn't our fault. We're down to, to uh, we're in a financial crunch here. And he sat us down and he said, he said, I'll never forget this. He said, this is the money that's coming in to our house. This is the money that needs to go out. He said, we, it doesn't match up. We don't have enough money. And so we're like, uh-oh, you know, we're getting scared. We're little kids, like, uh-oh. And dad said, no, but watch this. Watch this. He says, we're going to pray. And he said, we're just going to see what God does. I mean, that was faith on my dad's part. And, uh, and, I, and I remember because uh, the car that was totaled, the insurance was saying they weren't going to pay for it. And, and, uh, and the car was totaled, and it wasn't anyone's fault. And it wasn't even in the car when it happened. And, and um, so we're like, what is, what's going to happen? And, and so what was interesting, too, is we just prayed about that. And you know, God laid it on the heart of someone in the church to go around, and he started talking to people in the church and say, hey, you know what, can we buy Pastor Grafe a new car? <laughs> not kidding. And so they raised up enough money to buy a new car for our, for our family. Not only that, God laid it on the heart of two people, a mechanic and a body shop owner. They went to the junkyard, got, the, got our old car, pulled it out, and they fixed it up. And not only that, it doesn't stop there, the insurance company decided to pay 100% of the damages of the car. You know, so at the end of the month, we come together, and, 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 and my dad just had to laugh. He literally he laughed. Why? Because he said, look, look what God did, right? And, and so I think sometimes we totally miss the point that God puts us into, into impossible circumstances. He tells us to trust in something that's completely impossible. Why? Because then we have to take all of our faith off of ourselves, and we put it back on him. But oftentimes, we take matters back into our own hands. I mean, maybe I could see my, I could see dad, my dad being tempted at that point to take out a credit card and put, put the car on the credit card. Or, you ever do that? Now, I'm not saying credit cards are evil, but, but paying for something that you can't pay for is sometimes taking matters into our own hands when God put us there on purpose so we could learn to rely on him. Amen? And, and so, uh, so that's called trying to, to, to do things in your own strength. And, and, and so we violate some of God's principles. Like of, uh, God has some principles of finances and debt and so on. Or, or the other one, I'd say, is the, what I call the end justifies the means mentality. Sometimes we want to accomplish something good, but we'll do something wrong that we know is wrong in order to accomplish something good. And we see that in the example of Sarah at first, too, right? Because they were willing to forego what the Bible says about marriage in order to accomplish something that they thought was what God wanted in the first place, right? And so this idea of the end justifies the means. Um, I, I remember back when I was a Christian education pastor, there were two two different Bible colleges in the country that seemed like they were, they were fighting for the position of being the strictest school on the planet, right? And, um, and so they would put out these videos, one against the other, and, uh, and they came down to this, they finally found a, a, a doctrine where they disagreed, and it was on the, the doctrine of the versions. And so one of the schools believed that, that there's only one translation that's, 
that's accurate, and all other translations are, are inaccurate. And, and the other school believe that it's the original manuscripts that are accurate, and so all translations are only accurate as much as they reflect the originals. And so they had this little disagreement, and so they started making videos. This was a long time ago. This was back when videos were on tapes, right? And uh, some of you remember those. And, uh, and so they would make these videos, and somehow I got on the mailing list of both. So it was almost comical seeing these two Bible colleges fight uh, through these videos. But then there was one where they quoted... Uh, there's the, the, the side that, that believed in only one version. They quoted a professor that I had at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. And in that quote, he said, We cannot trust the Bible with 100% certainty because there are errors all throughout it. I thought, I can't believe my professor said that. I've heard him say the exact opposite. Now, being a student at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary and being a pastor about 15 minutes away gave me the ease to go over there and talk to him about it, right? And he showed me the tape where they took that clip. And they took that clip and they ignored the first part of the sentence where he said, we and no one in this staff would ever say the Bible is full of errors and we cannot trust the Bible. Do you see see the problem with the editing there? That meant that somebody, somebody in their mind was thinking that they would please God by pushing people towards a particular version or so or, and so on that they were willing to forego God's God's plan for honesty and integrity and they lied through the editing of that tape guys this, this is that that's not the way it's supposed to work no matter how pure we think the end is the end uh, the end does not justify the means God asks us to do what is right and real faith says we trust the ends up to him. Amen? And so, uh, so when we look at that, I, I'd say this is a quote here. Um, it is never right to do wrong in order to do something right. You may have heard anyone ever hear some version of that before. It is never right to do wrong in order to, to do something right. Uh, it's anonymous. I actually looked for the, the name of the author uh, to figure out who said it first. And you know what I found was interesting online? that there were a lot of different people who claimed to be the original author of this statement. Which reminded me of another thing, uh, another statement, that I, one of my favorite statements of Abraham Lincoln, and that is, don't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> right? You've got to love Abraham Lincoln. That takes some foresight to come up with that one. Right? You know, but our, our basis of faith should never be in, our, in ourselves, right? Uh, um, in fact, what, what hits me when I, saw, when, I, when I even saw how many people took credit for that is that in order to take credit for that statement, you're proving that you didn't understand that statement to begin with, right? Because if you're saying, I'm willing to lie to take credit for a statement, <clears throat> then you really didn't understand that it's never right to do something wrong in order to do something right. And so they didn't get it. And you know what? Neither did Sarah at first. Neither did Sarah at first. Sarah struggled in her faith before becoming a, a heroine of the faith. In fact, we skip ahead just a little bit in, our, in the story of Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what we read when Abraham and Sarah v- are visited by three angels. And this is what one of them said. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall call her name Sarai, Sarai but you shall not call her name Sarai. But shall call, or Sarah shall be her name. That was easy for me to say, right? 
Let me just start that verse over. <laughs> then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. See what God's doing here? He's clarifying. In fact, it would surprise me if God didn't emphasize those two words, by her. Because remember what they did in chapter 16. So God's saying, and I will bless her and will also give you a son by her, Abraham. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people, peoples, shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now this is important because, uh, because there's a play on words that takes place throughout this chapter and the, and the following chapters, and it's on the word laughter. And here we see laughter in its first context. Uh, and, and there's different kinds of laughter. You know that, right? There's different kinds of laughter. This is a kind of laughter that actually exposes a lack of belief. This is a disbelief. This is, this is that despair kind of laughter. You know, like if you ask uh, a Spartan fan if they thought they were going to win yesterday or something like that. It's like, ha, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I had to say that. I had to throw it in there somewhere. But there's, there, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, that type of... I'm sorry, Chad. 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 Sorry. I don't... Chad and I tease each other all the time, so... But there's that kind of laughter that just says... You just have to laugh at the circumstances because it's impossible, right? Uh, you know, you have, sometimes you feel like you have to laugh because if you don't, you'll cry, you know? And here, here we see that with, with Abraham, and he's saying, he just laughs in disbelief. And then we see when Abraham and Sarah visited by the three angels, just one chapter further ahead, we see that, that Sarah felt the same way. Look at the, verse 10 of chapter 18. So then he said, I will certainly return to you. This is the angel speaking now. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So he's saying, I'm going to come back, and by the time I come back to you, Sarah will already have a son. So now Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So Sarah overhears this angel saying, by the time I come back, Sarah's going to have a son. Verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? So she follows in the same footsteps as her husband, and she hears, hears them saying, oh, she's going to have a child by the time I come back. She just laughs at that. Like, how can you even believe that, that God's going to do something like that? This laughter exposes a la- total lack of belief. Amen? Right? We, see, we see that total lack. She, she laughed, too. And God confronts her in the next verse. He says this, And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And uh, is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. He reaffirms once again, it's going to happen. Sarah 
shall have a son. In fact, if you, go, if you read the next verse, Sarah says, I didn't laugh. And God says, oh, but you did. Right? Uh, and so, so this is, this is the, the lack of faith that Sarah had at the beginning of, of the narrative here. And it makes sense. Uh, we, we get it. We get it. But you notice that God not only confronts her, he not only affirms the purpose, but he lays out a new foundation for belief here. Did you catch it? When you look at that, he, he lays out a new, uh, a new foundation for her belief. So what was Sarah's basis for faith? What was ba- basis for faith? In fact, let me go back one slide and just look at it. See, do you see it? It's done in the form of a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord. What's the new basis of faith? Sarah, you've been trusting in yourself. Here's a new basis of faith for you. I mean, think about the Lord. Is there anything too hard for him? Wow, there just isn't. So what was Sarah's basis for faith? Uh, It was no longer her own strength. It was not her own strength anymore. But now her faith was in the power of an almighty God. That makes a difference doesn't it? I mean, we look at that. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The word there for Lord, it's his name, Yahweh. Is there anything too hard for him? I mean, who's he? He's the creator of the world. I mean, the power that we find in every atom, he sustains every atom in the universe. He's sustaining that power as we speak. He created, he spoke us into existence. And to him, having a 90-year-old woman get pregnant? That's a piece of cake, isn't it? That's a piece of cake. And so we look at this, and we have to say, uh, well, what happened? I mean, what's the end of the story? Well, go back to our, our original text. In Hebrews 11, we read, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past age. That's the miracle. But why? What was her basis of faith? It says in the second half of that verse, Because she judged him faithful who had promised. In other words, she took her focus off of the impossibility of the situation. She took the the focus off of her ability to to manipulate a positive outcome. And instead, she put her faith in a God who's able to do whatever he wants to do. And that changes, that changes everything. You know, she, she, that changed everything. Remember in, uh, in Genesis 21, 1 through 3, we see it happen. Uh, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah, as he had spoken. And for Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. It wasn't, by the way, it wasn't Abraham's schedule. It wasn't Sarah's schedule. That would have been like a long time before that. But according to the set time that God had for them. And then verse 3 we read, And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Isaac. Isaac is the Hebrew word for, anyone know? Laughter. For laughter. And and so now we see laughter, but in a whole new context. Right? Before, up to this point, we've seen laughter, but it's laughter out of an expression of disbelief. And now they have a child— 
and, and at, at 190 years old, the couple was, they have this child because God gave divine strength for this to happen. And now they're laughing, but for a whole different reason. They're laughing because they just are overjoyed in belief for what God has done. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, have you ever had that happen where, where uh, uh, you just have to look at something and say, that was a God thing? Yeah, where you say, there is no way I could have predicted that outcome, right? I mean, things were at a total loss, I mean, and look what happens. I actually, the, the center point of all of human history is like that. I mean, who would have predicted that God would send his son to, to, to earth and that we would crucify him and he would die on a cross and say, wait a minute, that, this, this is impossible. And then what happens? On the third day, God shows his power over death, and Jesus is, is risen from the grave. And now we have conquered death through what Christ did on the cross so that we don't have to, we don't have to die. We live forever. I mean, that's an amazing thought. But we're, we, we serve a God who is in the business of letting things get to the point of impossible so that he can flex his muscles and show his strength. We can put our trust even more in him. Isn't that awesome? That's an awesome thing. You know, and some of you, I, some of you, I, I could tell just from looking out, when I asked the question, have you ever been in those situations? That was just a God thing. Many of you, I saw, yeah, yeah and you could tell stories. And, and in fact, bring those stories when we come for our Thanksgiving service. And we'll open the mics up and let people just tell some of those stories. And, uh, and, and what an awesome thing to see what God has done. There might be some of you who think, well, for me, um, I don't have some of those stories. And it could be that Maybe you've been relying on, on yourself. And there are times in life where God has allowed stresses into your life. He has allowed, allowed you to be in an impossible situation so that you'll put your trust in him. But instead, you've been trying to find and manipulate some kind of positive outcome. You see, when you put your trust in yourself, you end up laughing because of disbelief and temptation to despair. But when you put your trust in God, you laugh as well because you can't. Because you're overjoyed by what God has accomplished. Here's the bottom line. Here's what it boils down to. A couple simple points. Number one, God has made some pretty impossible promises for us. Hasn't he? Again, we have to be careful to make sure when we look at the promises in Scripture, we want to look at them in context. And not every promise that God makes to individuals in Scripture is a promise for me. Right? So I can walk around Jericho as many times as I want. The walls won't fall down again. Right? Those are promises made to specific people. But there are a lot of promises in Scripture that are intended for us, right? Uh, just to think of some off the top of my head, Romans 8, right? What does Romans 8 tell us? All things work together for good to them that love God. Amen? Uh, when you think of, uh, here, take, my, take one of my favorites, a verse that probably every, every person in here knows. John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. You know what? Every single person that I know that, is, that, that, that has, you know, other, other than the people that are alive right now, every single one, they, they've died in history. They die. Why? It's, it's human nature. It's science. We die. And yet God says, trust me. You shall not perish, but you will have everlasting life. We can have faith in that. We can have faith in that. Uh, so the, the second thing I want to bring up, if we focus on our own strength, 
we will be tempted to despair. If we focus on our own strength, there, God's going to put us, he puts us there on purpose. We're going to find situations in life where we are tempted to despair. Honestly, if I look at Facebook, I realize this is so true. And I, I, I see it on Facebook all the time. If this doesn't happen, then I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. If this doesn't happen, or if this candidate doesn't win, or if this can't. And you know what? You're putting your faith in human hand. Don't do that. Right? Don't do that. Uh, you know, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying do the things that you need to do, but don't put your faith there. Amen? Put your faith in God. Lastly, I just want to say this. So if we focus on our own strength, we'll be tempted to despair. But when we consider the faithfulness of God, when we consider the faithfulness of God, our faith will give us strength. Isn't that what we read today in Hebrews 11? By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. Why? Because she trusted in the faithfulness of God. That's what it says in the second half of the verse. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. We have a promise keeper, and his name is God. And we can put our total trust in him. You know, there's a poem written in Scripture, written by David. And when I think of impossible circumstances, David was put in some impossible circumstances, right? I mean, even from a young age, he was put into some impossible circumstances. But yet, I look at the faith that he had, and I see and I read how the faith that he had, in spite of everything that was going on around him, in spite of the fact that everyone was trying to kill him, the entire government was, was looking for him to kill him, the entire army of Saul was looking to kill him, and this is what he wrote during that time. He wrote this. He, said, he wrote, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. My soul is among lions. See what the situation he was in. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. And right in the midst of this, very next verse, this is what he says. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my, for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be above all the earth. Psalm 57. Do you see how David, in the midst of everything horrible that was going on around him, had peace, he had hope, and he had faith. Why? Because he took his focus off of himself and he put it on a God who is a promise keeper. He's a promise giver and he's a promise keeper. And he said, my soul is steadfast. You know what our country needs right now? even more than 
than for a particular person to be in office. You know what our country needs? It needs you and me to show the world what steadfastness looks like. And that's what we need. We need to be steadfast in this storm. We need to be like David who can say, "My, my soul glories in you, Lord, in spite of everything that's going on around me. That's the most important. This is, this is my heart's prayer, is that we would be steadfast. And it's a simple, it's a simple concept. Take our focus off of ourself, put it back on God. Jesus tried to teach it to Peter, and he succeeded for a while. Remember, Peter, don't focus on the fact that, like, people don't float. Or, well, they do float, but they don't walk on water, right? Take your focus off of that, Peter. Put your focus back on me. Put his focus on Jesus Christ, and he was walking on water. That's, God will come through every time. Today, what I'm going to do, I'd like to, I'd like us to end the service just a little bit different than normal. Instead of having a a chance for you to come forward, I just want you to bow your heads right now, right where you're at. Close your eyes. And I just want to ask you, I just want to ask you a couple of, of quick questions. If if you're not a believer, if you've never come to that point that you've accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, it's possible because it's for the same reason that you've put your faith in yourself. But you know, when it comes to our salvation, I just want to talk to you for a minute. When it comes to our salvation, where we spend eternity, it boils down to taking our focus off of ourselves and putting our focus back on God. Because when we think that our works can earn us any credit with God, we make a mistake. But we have to put our trust 100% in what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross to pay for our sins. And if there's anyone in here today, I'm not going to ask you to come, come forward right now. I just want you to ask you to just raise your hand. Because if there's anyone in here today, it's worth stopping everything just to make sure you have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Is there anyone here today, just, just by raising your hand, would say, Pastor Dave, I'm not 100% sure that, 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 that I've accepted Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to give that opportunity. And now I want to speak to those who are believers. If you're honest, being honest with yourself, just by raise of hands, would you say, Pastor Dave, my faith has wavered, and I have not been as steadfast as I should because my focus has been too much on me and not enough on the God who keeps his promises. Would you be honest enough just to quietly raise your hand? I see hands, I see hands all over See, hands all over. Praise the Lord. Hands all over. Would you be willing today to just commit that to the Lord? In fact, in a moment I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the, the worship team if they would come back up. I know this is a curveball for the tech team as well, but I'd like to sing that always as a congregation one more time. So uh, to give them a little bit of time, if, if you could just come out of your seats and work your way up, and let's sing always one more time. And, and the reason I, I want to sing this song is because as... If we think about the words of this song, the point is that God is a promise keeper always. That we can always trust in him. We can always trust in his power. We can always trust in him. No matter how impossible the circumstances may be, we can always trust in him. And then by way of invitation, this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. Instead of asking you to come forward I'm just going to ask you to sing from your heart to the Lord, all of you who raised your hands and and the others too, to sing from your hearts to the Lord and, and pray as a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, 
I have not been putting my trust 100% in you, but I'm going to put it 100% in you today. And just pray it in your own words. And make your, your voice be, make your, your voice, as you sing, be your way of responding today. So let me pray, and then we'll sing always together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for, for the examples that you gave to us in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Lord, it's an encouragement to me because many times I, like Abraham, like Sarah, I put my faith in myself and I try to accomplish things myself and, and, I, and I fret and I worry when you put me into a situation that's intended to draw me closer to you. And Lord, I, I know from the hands that I saw today that, that there are many others like me that have struggled with that. But Lord, today we are reminded of who you are always. We thank you for that in Christ's name.